0: Welcome to Howden's podcast, Fortune Favours the Brave. We all take risks in our everyday life, and business is no different. In this podcast, we're speaking to the experts about a topical challenge or issue and what business leaders can do to overcome it. Welcome to Howden's podcast, Fortune Favours the Brave. My name is Jenny Screech, and I'm a consultant with the Legal Practice Group here at Howden Insurance Brokers. Recruiting and retaining talent in the current environment is going to require many professional firms to think outside the box. Firms will need to be brave enough to do things differently and make changes to traditional recruitment and working models, and the management of risk needs to adapt as part of this. Likewise, some firms may need to challenge their existing workplace culture and whether it's causing problems with the recruitment and retention of talent. I have with me Julia Graham, Julia is the CEO of AirMec, which is the Association for Insurance and Risk Managers. Prior to that role, Julia was Director of Risk Management and Insurance at law firm DLA Piper for nearly 12 years. So a very warm welcome to you, Julia. You've got a wealth of experience and we're delighted to have you with us today to share some of your insights on these important issues. As always, we start our podcast with a bit of an icebreaker. So we're asking you to tell us about an occasion when you took a risk and how that risk worked out for you, whether it was good, bad or otherwise. Well, first of all, Jenny, thank
1: you very much indeed for inviting me to be with you on this podcast today. Did I take a risk? Actually, I'm going to start with a bit of a story, if you don't mind. So bear with me. I will answer your question. But I start my story with a tale about a lady called Anne Edson Taylor. And this goes back to 1901. And you might think, gosh, she's old, but she doesn't look that old. No, I was not there at the time. But Annie Edson Taylor was the first woman to go into a pickle barrel and to go over Niagara Falls and survive. And by the way, not only survive, but survive with her cat and she emerged from the water at the other end in one piece, And became very famous as a result. Now, why am I saying that's a story about risk? Well, the problem was that Annie, when she took this risk, didn't look at all the risks that were involved. She looked at just some of them. And in this tale, which you'll find in a book written by one of my dear friends, Michelle Walker, who wrote a book called You Are What You Risk, what Annie forgot to do was to look at some of the people around her who supported her in that venture, including her Manager who, after her success, ran away with all the financial proceeds. And not only that, but found another person who was a lot younger shall we say you have to look at Annie's picture in the book to see what I mean or look it up online but Annie was 62 at the time and in 1901 62 was quite an old age mm-hmm. and he found a younger woman who he pretended was Annie and they went on a tour of the world and made even more money and Annie was left without anything so why am I telling that story well when I started my career I joined the army And I had a commission to go to Sandhurst. And I really enjoyed a few months of being uh, in the army, but then realised I'd made a terrible mistake and the army life was not for me partly because I never have been very good at taking orders. And I definitely, therefore, was not very well suited to the army. So what is the similarity between me and Annie? Well, the similarity is I didn't look at all the personal risks. I just looked at what the end goal might be. And what I forgot was that my personality didn't really suit the culture of the army. I took that career option because it's what my father, who was a sergeant major, wanted me to do in the absence of any of my brothers taking that career route. And therefore, I didn't look at all the risks. And it was a failure. So although I didn't end up penniless like poor Annie did, what I did do was take a completely different career route. And the one thing I think I did take away from that is I learned the lesson in future to think through what I wanted to do, what suited me, not necessarily what pleased other people, and to be very careful in future about the steps I took and that they were the right steps. So that was my risk that I took. I learned a great deal. I learned how to drive a chieftain tank. Not many people can say that. And I learned what suited me as a career. And I realized I like maths and I like people and I like development and sales and marketing. And I decided actually with some clear thought that the insurance world was something that probably would suit me very well.
0: And the rest, as they say, is history
1: because I'm still here. Oh, Julia,
0: that's great. Thank you. I mean, that's a a great story, and and also um, you know really good learning points in there um, as well. So let's apply your experience to the digital post COVID um, world we're in today, with current economic climate. And I'm interested to know what you consider to be the most important issue that law firms and indeed other uh, professional service firms should consider when they're looking to recruit talent?
1: I think what law firms need to do today is just be very aware of the context that they're working in. So be very aware of the world around them. Digital age is here. It's not something we used to talk in terms of the digital age is coming and it's already here. It's arrived. And therefore, law firms need to prepare for the future for that digital age, they need to have technology and systems that are fit for purpose. And they need people with the right knowledge, right skills and right talent, therefore, in the right place at the right time. And that might mean that you can distribute your talent into different places, doing different things than you did before. And the modern law firm will be a very different business in the future than the one that exists today, because you're serving clients and the clients have changed and there's no going back over change. You can't turn back the hands on a clock. The clock can only go forward in the real sense. So I think law firms that will thrive and survive will recognise the world that they live in, adapt to it. They will recruit talent that can adapt with them in the future and recognise also that the old days of somebody being with an organisation for life have gone and that they need to have a pipeline of talent,
0: of the right knowledge and Skills to keep them fit for the future. Great, that's that's really helpful. Just um, then, want to to move on to talk about the hybrid working arrangement that we've got at the moment, which is seems to be becoming quite an important um, issue. When you know people are looking to um, recruit, people have got you know used to the hybrid model, and certainly what we hear is that that's having an impact. Do you think that hybrid working arrangements could lead to skills gaps or talent not being developed to its fullest potential? I think it could do. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think one of the reasons I think it could do is that the way that law firms train lawyers is a wee bit different than it is in some other professions. There's a lot more, I feel, of the coaching type of training You see in many law firms, trainees or junior solicitors sitting alongside partners or senior associates learning their trade. That's very, very difficult to do when you're trying to do something like that remotely. You don't get the empathy. When you think about it, body language generally stops at the shoulder. So you don't pick up all the rest of the signs and signals that are part of being a human being, which helps you to learn. It's very difficult also to make judgments on interplay between yourself and other partners. Again, when you're on a one-to-one, you can't just suddenly get up and go and ask somebody a question across the other side of the room. You've got to make a deliberate action to set up a call once you've checked that the person you want to speak to is free. So I think it can slow down some of the learning if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. However, on the other side of things, I do think technology and hybrid working open up more opportunities for some of the really smart things that are happening in distance learning. So I think it's a bit of a plus and a minus. Minus in the sense that I do think in in law firms, learning is better absorbed when you're face to face. But equally, you do get more distance learning opportunities where you can be very consistent in the way that you teach people and the lessons that you want them to take
0: away. So it's pluses and minuses on on both sides and you just need to adapt to make sure that you're maximising the benefit. It's like everything in life, you know, there are good and bad things. And I think as we were starting off
1: talking about risk, risk itself is not always about bad things risk is also about opening up opportunities and it's a two-sided coin. So, when we talk about getting the right talent and learning in the right way, there's an upside and a downside of that as there is with anything in life. And I think the law firms that will be successful will seize the opportunities that they see in front of them and not just think of the negativities.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, From a risk perspective, then, um, do you think that supervision and training can be delivered effectively via Teams and Zoom? And I guess, what are the important components in that? I I think supervision can be delivered by Teams and Zoom or
1: whatever other solution that you choose to use. And the reason I think that is a couple. One is that some of the Um, very successful learning products that we see today, do online teaching, online proctored exams. There's a great deal that you can do to check that people are learning what you want them to learn and to do that remotely. And I think law firms, alongside every other business that uses online systems of teaching, is that you have to see what opportunities there are for you to use, to use assessment tools all the big online companies are using, it, and I'll come back to that in a moment because there's another point that I want to make. But all of these big companies are very successfully using online teaching, online examinations. Whether or not supervision is as easily delivered remotely remains to be seen. But of course, the partner's not always in the room with the trainee and we already have supervision delivered at arm's length. Uh, Sometimes it's a physical distance and that's worked perfectly well in the past. Where I think we might see a change, and again, I think there are risks and opportunities to this, is something that's been in the press a great deal recently and that's the use of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of the learning companies in the last few weeks have found to their cost, some negativity about the opportunities of artificial intelligence and what that can do and how it's affected their business model for the future. And law firms have to sit up and take note of what opportunities or negativities artificial intelligence might offer
0: to them as well, because I think the same will apply. Julia, I'd like to turn to talk about workplace culture. In your view, do law firms and and other professional service firms pay sufficient attention to their workplace culture and sustaining and enforcing that across actually the entire business? I
1: think culture is an incredibly important thing for all firms and certainly my experience of working at DLA Culture was an incredibly important part of what we were and what we stood for. And I do think in the way that we managed culture, it was very clear that the tone was set at the top of the firm. And because of the way we implemented our mission and our values, culture was consistent across the firm. What what you have to do is take into consideration uh, different expectations in different parts of the world. If you're an international business, what matters, say, in North America might be less important to some people than, say, what happens in France or the UK or Australia. But you have to be consistent. I think these days, too, when young people are looking at joining law firms or maybe partners coming in as... um, partner recruits is that they will look at what the culture and the value and visions of a firm is and it will most definitely form part of the decision making process as to whether or not somebody will join a firm. I think that's particularly true of younger people coming into the firm. Culture and what a firm stands for means increasingly a great deal for the new community of lawyers. And therefore, I think a firm that doesn't take that seriously is going to be heading for a problem. So, yes, absolutely key and absolutely key. I would, I'm not sure I would use the word enforce, but I do think that a firm needs to have in place mechanisms to ensure that its culture is consistent in a way that the firm wish it to be consistent when it's consistent. And required. So in, in certain circumstances where you don't need consistency, then have flexibility. But there are some core areas where you really need to be pulling in the same direction.
0: Do you think that firms really appreciate the business risks that are involved in a poor firm culture? That's a great question. I'm not quite sure I know what a poor firm culture is,
1: but I I guess for me, um, a poor firm culture would be something that doesn't really reflect what you see elsewhere in the organisation. So, if you have a senior partner, for example, or a managing partner saying one thing, and then when you get into the body of the firm, the firm actually behaves in a different way, I would say that's a poor firm culture. But if you really care about the people that work for you, it really matters to you and that you actually practice what you say, then I think firms will be fine. But a poor firm culture for me is where people say one thing and they do another. And when something isn't right, people don't feel that they can speak up and that they're heard and that something is done to rectify a situation, which clearly is a problem. That, for me, is a poor culture. Do I think that that's important? Absolutely, because it affects the quality of the work that's given and it affects how lawyers come across to their clients. And don't forget, one of the other key things is you need to reflect on the culture of the people that you serve. And it's very important that this cultural empathy between client and partner and law firm.
0: Are you concerned about the potential impact that hybrid working will have on workplace culture? Do you think that there's potential for adverse outcomes in that new working model? Well, I can
1: give you a personal and an official view on that one, if you like. Personally, Mm -hmm. I I think it is very important. And I think that there is a potential impact of hybrid working on the way the workplace operates and the culture in the workplace. And it's very interesting in my own much smaller world at Airmic, we've actually had team members making decisions about working for us based on the fact that we have a workplace. They don't want to work at home all the time. They want somewhere where they can come in and meet their colleagues, maybe just two or three days a week. But it has actually affected people's decision making. And I think as a result, we've ended up with some really fantastic people working in our team who might have felt differently if we said, well, guess what, guys, you can all work from home and we won't meet up other than occasionally. And when we meet up in, in a workplace environment, which is not our own. So from a personal point of view, I think it makes a very big difference. However, I know some organisations who think that it doesn't matter. And equally, I know some organisations, particularly in the banking world, where they think it matters even more than I do. And they've been really quite strident in encouraging people to come back to the workplace on a full time basis. Somewhere, I think it's a happy in the middle and most organizations that i come across including law firms are probably settling for about a 3 day week 3 days in the office and a couple of days at home it's really important however for the days in the office to be to have some consistency so that your expectations are met when you're coming into the office and you're hoping to meet up with people of course that knocks into workspace if you've given away your workspace or you were operating hot desking approaches before the pandemic and you now need perhaps on a Tuesday or Wednesday more desks than you've got, you've got slightly different logistical problems to deal with. But most of the firms I talk to
0: seem to be managing that very well. Julia, what about hybrid working and the health and wellbeing of um, employees? What are your views on that? Well, Jenny, there's been an awful lot of discussion about
1: health and well-being and the relationship with hybrid working. So I think it's absolutely on point that you asked me that question. And I think we have to reflect that people like people. You know, people are sociable animals and we do enjoy, most of us, the company of others. And one of the things that does bother me a little bit about hybrid working is the potential for people to be lonely maybe miss the community that they were part of when people were working in the office on a a more regular basis. And we just have to be mindful of the fact that different people react in different ways. There isn't one size that fits all. Some people love being in the office every day of the week. Some people prefer to be at home. But there are others who feel, well, I'd like to be at home, but I live on my own. And therefore, I'm a bit lonely when I'm on my own. And you need as a firm to be able to pick up the signals of when something isn't quite right. And to be able to have that contact with individuals to say, are you okay? Okay. Is it working for you? If it's not, what do we need to adjust? So I think there is a very sensitive relationship between hybrid working and well-being. And I think firms need to be very, very alert and have interventions and triggers that they put into place if they feel something isn't quite working as it should.
0: And finally... Do you think that the availability of hybrid working within a law firm is a factor that would actually drive a person's decision in terms of going to work for that firm? How how important do you think that that issue is in the employment decision?
1: I think the importance of hybrid working as a factor in making a decision to join a firm has changed over, over time. I think immediately during and after the pandemic, it was a very important factor for all sorts of reasons, both about concern about being in an office, and um, perhaps you felt safer at home and you enjoyed the flexibility. There's a bit of a novelty factor at first that you could work at home. For me, however, I think what it's going to start to become is just another benefit Because hybrid working for professionals within a firm is not the reason you join a firm, not primarily anyway. You're joining a firm because it's the place that appeals to you your culture and your values are in tune it's a great place to work but not necessarily the style of what you're looking for because what you're looking for is is this a firm I can progress in what are the career opportunities that they offer to me and I think something like hybrid working passes by as being one of the most important factors so I think when you're younger and you start out at a firm,
0: it's important. But I think over time, its importance will ebb away. That's great. Julia, thank you very much for your time today. It's been really useful to have an opportunity to talk through these issues that are so fundamental to a successful business. And you've certainly given our listeners some valuable uh, insights and and points to reflect on. And to our listeners today, thank you for tuning into the discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fortune Favors the Grave from Howden. To hear more episodes and subscribe to our channel, search Fortune Favors the Brave on your favourite podcast app.